Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. We interview women in the sports and entertainment businesses to teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. Let's bring visibility to women who are crushing it in their roles. Join us week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast, Katie Bynum as Navorian. She is the Chief Strategy and Growth Officer at the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Emily. Yeah, we're so excited to have you today and learn about your your career and um, all you do at the USOPC. So can you start off by telling us who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure thing. Um, So I oversee our strategy and growth division at the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And you might wonder, what on earth is strategy and growth? Um, It is a division comprised of three different functions. One, brand and fan engagement. So how we leverage Team USA to tell our athlete stories and engage with fans. Uh, Two, external affairs, which is an integration of our communications, international relations, and government relations functions. And then the third is business innovation, which is largely our strategic planning and data center of excellence function. And so you say, okay, well, that's a lot. And how do they all work together? And our purpose and what we get up every day collectively to think about as a division is how are we stewarding the Team USA and USOPC brands and reputation? How are we staying two steps ahead? Um, What's going on in the industry? How do we better serve our stakeholders? What is our impact? How are we measuring that? How are we talking about it? How does that generate revenue that then ultimately serves our mission? And it just becomes a cycle that kind of continues and is is nurtured on an ongoing basis. I'm excited to dig in more to your day-to-day and and what you're doing uh, for Team USA and talk about upcoming Olympic events. But I want to go back a little bit and talk about how you got there. You went to UNC, um, which means you were there the same time I was at Illinois and you guys beat us in the championship NCAA and we're in March right now. So, you know, top of mind, but I will put that aside <laughs> for a great interview. Um, when you were there, did you dream of working at the USOPC? Was this something that you had in the back of your mind um, from a little girl or is this something that developed as your interests in, in marketing developed um, during your studies? It's a great question. And First, I'll say um, that night at Carolina was definitely one of the best college experiences I've ever had. So I'm sorry for that. But um, everyone kind of has something like that in March Madness. Um, I would say, gosh, did I dream about it to some degree? Um, I knew I wanted to work in sport. I have a family of um, medicine. Um, So I went the opposite direction and didn't work in medicine in any form. Um, and knew I wanted to get in the sports business uh, and also knew I had aspirations to just work in global business. And uh, when uh, probably a few years into my sports career, I'd always had a love for the Olympic and Paralympic movement and knew um, and liked the mission-based aspect of the movement, uh, the global nature of the movement. So I wouldn't say I put a pin up there and said I always wanted to be here, but definitely as I grew in my career, I knew 
this was a dream job for a variety of reasons um, and didn't know exactly how this path would unfold, uh, but certainly uh, love and I'm grateful that, that it did in the way that it did. Yeah. And speaking of global business, your first real job, your, your start was at Wasserman in London. So you, you made that jump into global business right out of the gate. What was it like working internationally and what was the biggest lesson you learned starting your career? Yeah, so I, I started actually at Wasserman in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina, and then after three or four years, had the opportunity to move over and help them start their international consulting business, uh, which was great. They didn't have the traditional U.S. market business they had um, in the U.K. and wanted to start that. But at the time, uh, Casey Wasserman was doing a number of acquisitions, and so um, I was the second employee over there from the U.S. to help start the international consulting business with one other woman um, who I'm still friends with to this day. And she's a fantastic leader in sports, um, but also an amazing friend. And she and I spent time building up the capability of that business um, that didn't exist at a time when a number of other parts of the company were being integrated. They they acquired a media rights business and they also acquired um, a sports management and football slash soccer. So we got to kind of be a bit of a startup on the backs of a pretty mature and sophisticated you know, global sports agency. So you learn a little bit of what it's like to be a startup, but at the same time we're watching um, the integration of a number of different functions. And you learn a lot from that. I learned a lot in a very short period of time, which was a really, really good experience. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, what an opportunity to be number two, heading over to open up something new. Do you think that's really played into your role today? For sure. I definitely, you know, learned a bunch of new things and uh, relied on some of those things I learned um, in my chief of staff role at. Uh, at the USOPC when I started, um, but it definitely when you when you live internationally, I find and and used to say that you learn muscles that you didn't know existed. So you just kind of do a little bit of a workout um, that perhaps you haven't in in a while, and you're like, okay, whether that's personally um, because you're living in a new country and meeting new people, uh, but also just the cultural dynamics of the industry are really different. And we did it at a time where a lot was unchartered. And I find what I love to do most is build things and also navigate uncharted territory. I'd love a blank canvas just to say, okay, what do you do next? Or how do you get this started? And this experience in London gave me that opportunity at a young age to really lean in and say, be comfortable with, with the uncertainty and the unknown and, and figure it out as you go. What was the best part about living in London? Uh, it, there were a number of things. I don't know that I could pick one, but I happened to be there. I would say personally at a time when um, there was a there was a lot going on for the country. Um, they were hosting the Olympic and Paralympic Games in 2012, and there was this what what um, Kate and William were getting married, and so there was just this ton of pomp and circumstance around the country, and it always felt like something was being celebrated there in a pretty meaningful way that had the attention of the world. So it felt like you were living in a very, very global city. Obviously it's still that the way, and that's the case, but uh, coming from going to school in North Carolina and growing up in North Carolina, I did travel 
for six months after college. Uh, so I'd been out before, but I think living in a country um, that felt uh, that global uh, was probably the best for me personally. Uh, it just opens your eyes to a number of different things and people and experiences that I wouldn't have otherwise had. I love that. I love to hear that. And just that personal growth you can experience early in your career and how much that unknowingly at the time, right, pays forward into what you're going to do next. Yeah, for sure. So the, your next gig, you moved on from Wasserman to the USGA. Why did you make the move? And how did you know it was the right one? And then also for listeners looking to make a career change, what advice would you give them? Uh, I had to think long and hard about this one because it was at the time I was making the decision because you never know in the moment if it's the right one or not. Uh, You just kind of have to go with your instinct. And I did. And at the time, I was so very, very grateful for Wasserman for the experiences that I had been able to have with that company. And they're so diverse. When you work at an agency in sport, you learn literally just about a little bit of everything um, in a number of different directions. And I knew um, at the time, going to work for a property enabled the opportunity to really go deep in something. My next area of opportunity for growth was how do I run a P&L and a team and um, build a strategy and make decisions. Sometimes in consulting, you don't, you're not afforded that opportunity. So I needed to get some, you know, responsibility and growth that involved making some good and probably bad or wrong decisions too, and learning from both of those. So I I knew, um, I think as a matter of practice in what the job represented, that it was going to be really different. And it was time for me to do that. It was really hard to leave. Lots of great people. Anytime you leave, Um, sometimes you leave really great people that you want to continue to work with. And that was difficult. It was also really hard to leave London. Uh, But the other two benefits of the role, I think, and this is, you know, other than going with your instinct advice, I would give anybody else is actually take the time to define what you want and why. Um, I loved the business of golf. And I loved that the USGA was a mission driven nonprofit. And so I was staying in sport, but I was going to work for a nonprofit in sport. And I knew that I had an affinity and and passion for the business. And um, I've gotten this advice a couple of times in my career. um, And I think it's really good. Just take a minute to define what you want versus reacting, right? People end up in certain places in their career because they think they should. Uh, be doing something um, because if someone else imposes on it or they're just reacting to this was given to me or this door opened, I need to take it. Um, And one of the best things you can do for yourself is make sure you have your own criteria, which by the way, will change as you go through your career. So it needs to be refreshed and keeping yourself honest and saying, okay, it might be a bigger, more high paying job in this scenario and you think you should take it. But if it doesn't meet those criteria that are core to who you are and what's going to get get you up every day, you may not want to do it. And sometimes the hardest decisions in those scenarios are saying, no, I'm going to wait for something else or go find something else. Um, But I think keeping yourself honest against what you want to do is probably the the best advice I could give. Yeah, that's amazing advice. And I, I think also, you know, this conversation, USGA, I think is on a lot of people's minds right now because pop culture has really picked up on a lot of these golfers and 
hoping to see it on the women's side as well. Um, what was your experience like working for USGA? Are you traveling to all the tournaments? Like where, where does your role land and what does a lot of that day-to-day look like? At the USGA, I ran their commercial function, which was all of their commercial partnerships. And at the, at the time to ticketing and hospitality for champ, for their major championships. So that was the U.S. Open, the U.S. Women's Open, Senior Open and Senior Women's Open. Um, and it was some travel uh, to those championships, especially when they're taking place. You're there for the duration of a little bit before, uh, throughout, and a little bit after. Uh, and so it takes you to some amazing place, places across the country. Uh, you meet a bunch of people. It is a little bit like a, a traveling circus, if you will, um, of people that end up working together throughout the year and then coming actually together to see it all take shape for the week. Um, it's, it's a pretty remarkable experience. Um, but a lot of it is uh, planning at the same time. And, and it, it works this way at the USOPC too, which I love when you're in the consulting business, you're kind of doing projects for the next two weeks or months or, you know, coming months when you're at the USGA and or the USOPC, you're working on that or that year's championship at the same time you're planning for the next one. At the same time, you're also planning for the next one. So while I have been four years at the USOPC, um, this year's US Open at LA Country Club was something that I worked on when I left in 2019 and even the 2024 US Open next year. So I still have this connection to knowing I was a part of that planning. You're doing planning for 10 years out at these organizations. At the same time, you're also saying, okay, what does tomorrow look like? And the way that stretches your brain. I, I love a lot. Um, and again, is really different. It's for, for a certain group of people, those that work in for-profit companies that need to churn quarterly results. It's very different for, um, but I, I, I enjoy it. So speaking of USOPC, you moved on and moved to USOPC as the chief of staff in 2019. I'm really curious about this role as I'm seeing the chief of staff popping up in a, inside a lot of businesses. What was your role and how did taking a chief of staff role contribute to your growth as a leader? And how did this role help you to become chief strategy and growth officer in 2020, not too long after? Yeah, I love to see uh, the chief of staff role popping up in a few different places. And I've had a couple of recruiters actually call and ask, you know, to help develop like what this type of role is. And the good and bad news of it is uh, it really depends on the leader and what the leader needs. Uh, in, in this case, it was the CEO. And it also really depends on where the organization is. So it's very much a change management based um, fill gaps. I like to affectionately call it a, a kitchen sink job. You did just a little bit of everything. And so what that means for the USOPC at the time would be very different than what it means for a lot of other organizations. But that common thread is someone that can thrive in, you know, ambiguity, um, kind of figure out what's next, connect a bunch of dots and, um, you know, influence across stakeholders, even if it's not their area of responsibility. It's really a Swiss Army knife type job. And I, I loved it. Um, I actually, it did harken back to those days at, at Wasserman as a consultant, uh, which was fun, but allowed me to kind of merge my property experience and having worked at a national governing body like the USGA. So I'd run a function, I knew how to navigate those types of organizations, 
but then also it was kind of the perfect marriage of the two previous roles that I had. And um, again, it's very different roles depending on, um, you know, what someone's looking for. At the time, the USOPC was going through a tremendous amount of change. Uh, our CEO, Sarah, was six months um, into you know, running that organization and, and leading a tremendous amount of change. Um, and I joined um, in part, one, because I would have loved to work for the US Olympic and Paralympic movement, but I also, I did the exercise of listing a few things that I wanted to do. And uh, part of being a part of the journey of change was super important to me. I knew it would challenge me and I knew I would be incredibly motivated by getting behind its purpose. So I spent a year and a half doing that with her, and I had actually worked with her for 15 years, both at Wasserman and the U.S. Golf Association. So we knew each other really well. Um, and anytime you can find somebody that you you know continue to learn from and work well with, um, I would also say um, to anyone pondering that um, to to stick with it. There's there's not a ton of people out there that you can find that with. Um, but we've got a great working relationship and I've learned a ton from her and being in that chief of staff role for the period of time in which it is enabled me to naturally get into this chief strategy and growth officer role. Uh, the organization evolved from reacting and um, making a ton of change in progress in a short period of time to figuring out how to play offense. And what does the roadmap to LA28 look, look like? We have this amazing opportunity to host a home games in this country in now five very short years. And so uh, based on what I did in my chief of staff role, it enabled me you know, to build some relationships, but also some capability that um, set the organization up nicely to turn this chapter and then to take over this function. And I'd say I, I still do a lot of what I did in the chief of staff role now as strategy and growth officer, just now with an awesome and big team to help. Uh, but also there's some new things as we think about, you know, what's next for the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic movement uh, that I can spend some time thinking about that that didn't, uh, you know, happen in the first couple of years, only because of where we were in, in our own journey as an organization. Yeah, and you're in a big leadership role now at, in this, in this position. And what is, what does your leadership strategy look like? How big is the team that you lead and are your goals really focused on LA 28 or, you know, as we talked about a little bit earlier, when you're working at a property, you're sort of seeing the future. Um, so what is, what does that look like for you? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I would say, we're excited and energized to be thinking about LA 28 versus what's immediately right in front of us. It's been a challenging couple of years with the, what I call the back-to-back -back pandemic games with Tokyo and Beijing and obviously the change the organization was going through for good. Um, so I would say LA 28 is an important marker for us because it's a home games that just creates a different dynamic. But at the same time, LA isn't the destination for us. Um, it is for that organizing committee and separate entity. But for us, it's really, who do we want to be by that point in time? What do we want the movement and the organization to look like in 2029? And at the same time, we're setting some pretty specific sights on how we want to capitalize on this games because it's in our home country. We're really thinking about how does that a catalyst for what's next? Um, and as some may know, we are, you know, in conversations to try and host a winter games 
in Salt Lake City in the near future. So it is never a what is just 2028 and what's the next five years. It's always what's five to 10 to 15 years from now. Um, so definitely thinking about that in, in stages for sure. Uh, my leadership style now, I think at the time uh, when I was chief of staff was much more about you know, connecting dots and trying to get people to come together um, and you know, not operate as silos and help problem solve some of where we are and advance some of where we are. Uh, now is about you know, trying to empower the amazing team that we had. We have had some evolution in staff over the, you know, over the last few years, which happens naturally with games. And obviously, given where the country and the world is in work culture, you know, there's been some transition and we've we've needed to also say, you know, what what do we need in capability to acquire what, you know, what we're trying to do next? And we have those people in place, which is amazing. So the question is now. How do we lay the roadmap to let people realize their own potential and the potential of what, you know, the LA Games and beyond look, looks like? And that's what I'm focused on day to day. You said you've got a lot of all-stars and talented people on your team. What, what makes a great teammate at the USOPC? I don't know about you, but I love learning more about myself. If there's a quiz out there to help me better understand who I am, I'll take it. If there's a journal prompt, I'm using it. But how about a business that helps female leaders communicate effectively while inspiring confidence and trust in those you want to impact? Sign me up. Breakthrough Brands is unlocking clarity for women leading progress. They build leadership brands for women to discover what inspires them, define what drives them, and unlock how to share their brands with others. Do you want to gain clarity on your personal brand? Shoot me a note at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com or on Instagram, and we will introduce you to the women who will help you unlock your leadership brand. That's BreakthroughBrands.com. If you are listening to this podcast, I know you are a busy professional. We can agree we are always looking for products that are convenient and make life easier. Mobot water bottles are one of these products. It's a water bottle and a foam roller in one. I use the water bottle at the gym, staying hydrated in boot camp and then flipping the bottle on its side at the end of class to quickly foam roll my legs. It helps with recovery and gets me back to work faster. Get yours at mobot.com and use the code leadershipisfemale, all one word, to get 15% off. Support Lonnie Cooper, the female founder of this product, and support yourself. This is a must-have wellness water bottle. At Leadership is Female, we are serious about supporting you in your career. That includes the tips to get you ahead inside your current organization or provide you with the next big opportunity in a new role. That's why we have partnered with Legacy Search, an executive recruiting firm specializing in mid to senior level executive searches across professional, collegiate, and minor league sports. Check out the openings listed at LegacySportsSearch.com or in our monthly Leadership is Female newsletter. Hint, if you have not signed up for the newsletter, head to leadershipisfemale.com. If you find a job listed at Legacy Sports Search that looks like it should be yours, email us at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com and we will introduce you directly to the opportunity. This is your career. Make the most of it. That's a really great question. I would say uh, anyone willing to roll their sleeves up, uh, it is. It is a, an amazing movement to be a part of because it's inspiring. Uh, we're serving Team USA athletes on the world's largest stage, but at times it can be hard 
um, and or, you know, long days. And so I think uh, you need someone who can roll their sleeves up with you, who can laugh with you when things go unexpectedly and they do a lot. Um, someone that has your back and can have open and honest conversations. Um, everyone kind of jokes it's like, oh, what do you do in between games? You know, every two to four years as if, right, there's nothing to do in between. And there's a tremendous amount of prep and preparation that goes into each games. And uh, there's never a dull moment. It's not a, a, you know, no day is the same. So you kind of need people who can adapt with you are good with ambiguity and can be honest about, you know, what challenges are we seeing and, and how to get through them together. So speaking of adaption and rolling your sleeves up and working in ambiguity, what's the biggest hurdle you've had to overcome in your career? Uh, I'll probably say two, one, just in the spirit of, of what um, you were just talking about, expecting the unexpected. Um, I'm, I'm a planner by nature. And I think my parents would laugh to know that probably the biggest thing my career has taught me is patience um, in some form, because you just really, I think the thing to recognize is most things don't happen the way you expect them to. And when you get comfortable being uncomfortable or expecting the unexpected, um, you are more poised in situations and confident and can manage those situations than if you put too much stock into uh, them going a certain way. And quite frankly, I've come to appreciate and embrace the messiness of those moments when they don't go the way you want to, uh, because I know that's where you learn. And I know that's where maybe things end up being better than you otherwise imagine. And there's there's something humbling about it and gosh, super hard in the moment. I'm not really sure if I t- had an out-of-body experience and told myself that in the moment, I'd recognize it. But looking back for sure, um, those definitely make you better. I resonate with that so much. Um, working in sports, it's the best laid plans. And then, you know, some days it rains. So it's... Uh, <laughs> It's um it's something I can definitely appreciate, and I'm sure our listeners can too. Just um, as people, I think that are attracted to this industry because you were an athlete yourself, or you're a goal getter. Um, it, it's a it's a good industry to like align with those personality traits. But someone who's expecting practice performance, um, and then when things don't go wrong, like having to implement patience is really really challenging. So I'll tell you a funny story on the the week of um, it's sometime in March in 2020, we postponed the Olympic and Paralympic games the same week we postponed our wedding, um, (laughs) which was an interesting week to try and process and to take to heart the advice and or lessons that I've already learned because that was a lot in one week. But at the same time, one, the pandemic was certainly out of our control, but it just put a lot of things into perspective. It's like, okay, what are you going to do with this now? And how are you going to, how are you going to navigate the realities that you have in front of you? Despite all of the planning, both of those events represented with a, with a lot of energy and commitment. So it made me smile. (laughs) 
Yeah. You had a, a double whammy there with your personal <laughs> and professional life in one week. That is a lot to deal with, but now looking back, it's like this weird time warp and we, you know, we, we have gotten to the other side of it. And like you stated, you know, we, we identified the things that are most important to us that um, a lot of it was blind as you were just kind of running through what you needed to do day to day and, and what was next on the list. Yeah, I completely agree. So um, you're obviously somebody who is, is very skilled and who knows how to go after what you want. How much do you think the skills of willpower and confidence have played into your success? Definitely a lot. Uh, and at times, gosh, both of them get challenged where you have to realize how, how in, enduring are they and strong are they. Um, I, if I had to add um, two more, uh, I would I would also add curiosity in large part, that was advice I was given early on in my career, but I still embrace today. And that's just, it just, just the spirit of being a continuous learner and of continuous improvement. And I think to some degree, I would, I would pair that with, with confidence, um, and, and willpower. And the other one I mentioned already, but I, I can't value enough, at least in the, in the jobs that I've had is just patience. Um, it goes back to that which which is willpower and confidence. When things don't go the way you want them to, you need to maintain confidence and willpower to see them through in a new and different way. But you also need that patience and curiosity, right? Because my guess is you're taking, instead of going straight, you're taking a left turn. And you're like, well, I don't know what's, I don't know what's in this left turn. So there's a mix of that, that constantly learning and constantly, you know, um, being steadfast in your, in your own conviction to, to be open to learning and, and a new path, which I think is super important too. Yeah. I love those four that you named willpower, confidence, curiosity, and patience. And the best leaders that we talk to, that we interview on this podcast, all mention curiosity, being a continuous learner, not being so stuck in your ways and gets, it's really the best way to, to be a better leader and to, you know, keep going after your job with excellence is to be curious and learn more. I think we can grow every day. And I'm so happy that you touched on that and restated that for the audience. Yeah. I think we're kidding ourselves if we all think we have the answers. Um, so I know curiosity keeps us, especially in this ever-changing world, right? Keeping up with. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. Feedback used to be like for this period of time, I don't know, maybe it was like in our twenties where it was so hard to take feedback because it felt like critical. And now it's like, all right, feedback mixed with being curious. Like if you put those two together, it doesn't feel harsh. It feels like, how can I look at this and, and get better? And if I get better, yeah. then I'm better at my job. I'm a better leader, make more money. Like it all goes together in that upward trajectory. Totally. It should be empowering. Absolutely. So what are you looking forward to most for the next Olympic Games? Oh, I, I don't want to jinx anything in saying this, um, but I'll start with some some return to normalcy. Um, I have experienced a, a few different Olympic Games, but the first one in this capacity was the Tokyo and Beijing, as I mentioned, the affectionately the back-to-back -back pandemic Games. So 
Uh, Paris is hopefully a return to normalcy, but beyond that, um, gosh, it's a magical city. And I think we have been spending a lot of time uh, not only learning from these last two games, but reinventing how we service our stakeholders. So from us, you'll see a lot of new and different and improved. And I'm excited to see that come to life. Uh, some of that just wasn't possible. That thinking wasn't possible for the last two games. And the team has been working hard on a bunch of really creative uh, and forward thinking concepts that um, I hope are, are realized and celebrated around the Paralympic games. Um, and, you know, for, our athletes and their families. Um, I think a ret return to normalcy, um, hopefully, you know, means they get the the dream uh, that they've experienced and dreamt about for so long. Um, so there's there's a lot to look forward to. Um, but th that being said, I'll be a broken record in saying something unexpected will happen, and we'll look forward to that too. <laughs> yeah. I think as someone who's watched the games since I was a little kid, that. The best part is the stories and the stories of the athletes and then their the involvement of their family. And watching the games during the pandemic was equally inspiring and also heartbreaking when the families couldn't be there to celebrate um, the success of, of their athlete. And that's, I think, what I'm looking forward to the most as a viewer is like bringing and seeing everyone back together again to celebrate the moment they've worked for their whole life. It's just, it's incredible. Yeah. Is there yeah, anything else you want to leak on the podcast today? <laughs> we could be looking forward to as, uh, as viewers of the Olympics. Well, um, not yet, but stay tuned. We've got, <laughs> gosh, just under 500 days until Paris. So uh, th there'll be a, a lot more um, between now and for sure. Love it. Love it. Okay. So, um, we were joking a little bit before we started recording today about your life in Colorado Springs. And you said sometimes, um, so tell us what, what is it like Katie, um, being you, where, where are you right now? Um, where are you traveling to, you know, what, what does life look like, um, in your role and in your life? Um, I am in Boston at the moment. Uh, my husband and his family are here and I'm here a lot, uh, which is great. It allows me to pop down to New York easily. We've got a lot of staff and uh, partners in New York City. Um, it's also convenient <laughs> to head over to Europe, which I do pretty frequently to see our partners um, in the Olympic and Paralympic movement. Um, and then um, based uh, part-time too in Colorado Springs, that's where our headquarters are. Uh, I love being in Colorado Springs. It's, uh, for those that don't know, Olympic and Paralympic City USA. So I think there's like 23 or so national governing bodies in addition to our headquarters. Um, so you've got resident athletes at our training center and it's just a, it's a lovely, you know, sport community um, and it feeds my outdoor um, passions, um, not only my passion for photography, but hiking, it's a beautiful place. And that's an easy and quick flight over to LA where I'm frequently there given our partnership with the LA 28 organizing committee. So, um, I am in the air a good bit, um, which is okay. Um, part of this movement is about connecting with people all over the world. And the great thing about the job, especially now after the pandemic, is that you can be anywhere 
connect with anyone at any time. So while I might be traveling to see folks uh, for different reasons, I'm definitely traveling less. Um, and the flex work environment allows you to just be where you need to be and talk to who you need to, uh, wherever they are in the world and get done what you need to. So I'm enjoying that. But that's a little bit of where I am and, and what's been going on. I'll also say close proximity to um, Colorado Springs and L.A. is our partners in Salt Lake City um, for a, hopefully a future host winter game. So um, all over the place. But it's a good thing. Your dream of being a global businesswoman certainly came true. <laughs> All right. So we have so, so, be careful what you wish for in those long days and travel woes. Be careful what you wish for. But no, all things considered, I, I couldn't imagine being anywhere else and feel incredibly grateful. Yeah, I'm sure you're a pro at dealing with those uh, travel delays. And that's where you can also employ that patience we, we spoke about on this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> All right, we do a final four questions. Um, number one is what's the best piece of advice you have for women today to level up tomorrow? Uh, two things. One, be yourself uh, and create a support system of other strong women. Uh, the women I've met along my journey who have helped me and continue to help me have definitely made me who I am today. So I can't un underestimate that, the value of that. Where are you traveling to next? Uh, I will be back in Colorado in a few weeks. What is your pump up song? Oh, such a good question. Um, hmm. Maybe. <laughs> uh, let's go between what I used to warm up to in basketball <laughs> in my high school days. Eminem, lose yourself in the moment. That, that will always get me pumped up. So you had my pause was hearkening back a, a different chapter in my life. And honestly, these days, anything Chris Stapleton sings, which sounds ironic because I'm not sure he'd be a hype man. Uh, but gosh, he can get me in the right frame of mind. So I'll use him. <laughs> we are of the same era. Eminem is on my running playlist. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> and then finally, what is your favorite quote? Uh, I, have a lot, I have a lot of them. So I'll do one that comes to mind, given the spirit of our conversation today. And I love, which is um, a Ben Hogan quote, uh, who is a famous golfer. And he said, the most important shot in golf is the next one. And I like that because there's a lot of parallels between golf and life. Uh, so if you said the most important shot in life um, is the next one, that would make you incredibly present. Right? You wouldn't be looking back too much. You'd be learning from what just happened, but you wouldn't be looking back too much and you wouldn't be looking forward too much. In golf, there's a tremendous amount of um, mental focus um, and, and fortitude required to really executing what's right in front of you and being present. And I try and do that a lot, just remind myself to be present. Because like I said, you don't know where the next shot is going or why you got to where you did with maybe what was a good or a bad shot and you can't take any of that for granted. So I, uh, I have that, um, that quote close to me often. I love that. Well, Katie, it's been so fun to talk to you today and learn so much from you and also get some insight into, into your role and leadership style. So we're so grateful that you shared with us on the Leadership is Female podcast and look forward to following you and your undoubtedly successful career. 
With that, let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, you never know if this moment is the right moment. You have to go with what feels right. Trust your intuition. Number two, take the time to define what it is you want and what you want to get out of your career. Work somewhere that allows you to develop and reach the goals you have set for yourself now. Number three, embrace the messiness of the moment. Things don't happen the way you expect them to according to your perfectly designed plan. Learn patience and expect the unexpected. Number four, be yourself and create a support system of women around you that allows you to be yourself. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Time is your most precious resource, and it means the world that you spent it with us. Please help us reach more people who need to hear these interviews by hitting the subscribe button and the five-star rating on your iPhone. Do you know someone who could benefit from this interview? Please share it. Take a screenshot and post your Instagram stories, copy the link and share on LinkedIn, or text that link to your colleague. The Leadership is Female podcast exists to showcase female leadership in sports and entertainment and give you the tips to level up. We will extend a hand back to lead you forward. Extend the same hand by sharing this with someone who needs to hear it. One last thing. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Leadership is Female. Now, take this lesson and run. Let's go. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedus, and distributed by Anchor FM.